Hello and welcome to Phil's Breakfast Metal episode 117. I'm joined here today by Jake, who is a friend of mine for years through the Into the Combine group, but you may have come across his writing. He's worked for Everything is Noise for quite a few years and more recently started doing interviews and articles for Lambgoat. Um, and we were kind of throwing around ideas of what to cover and decided like there's a band we've been talking about way too much recently and kind of someone I've overlooked on the podcast despite being one of my favorite artists we really wanted to dive into Enslaved but as as you'll probably know if you're vaguely familiar with the band that whole discography is too much to tackle in one episode it'd be like five hours long if we attempted to do the whole thing so we thought we'd try and choose like an interesting 10-year period in their discography so we've gone for 2000 to 2010 and we're just going to cover the i believe seven studio albums that came out over that period um yeah so so jake what, what is your history with um Winslave? like when did you get into them uh it, it's sort of been i guess in some ways sort of a on again off again kind of thing um but i i think it started I honestly can't recall the first enslaved record that I heard. It's it's been one of those things that you know it's been obviously years and years ago. But <clears throat> I think there's certain um, albums of theirs that sort of took hold on me. I think Frost is probably like the first one that really sunk its teeth into me, and then you know um, Eld, and then you know like not long ago I um, decided to do like a few full runs through the discography and. Um, I don't know. It's weird because they're, they're a band that I, I feel like gets, um, obviously a lot of praise and, and, and rightfully so, but maybe in some cases at times they were a band that I kind of kept at arm's length because of, um, I didn't want to fall in love with them because I, it was sort of the, the will of the people around me. I wanted to kind of find my own way with them. Um, and I think honestly, what did it for me was just just going back to like the demos, like Igdrasil, and and just sort of feeling my way through it from there. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of a strange little journey to to get to kind of where I feel much more comfortable with with who they are now, and and sort of kind of following their um, amplitude, I guess, uh, of sort of you know from the early days of the uh, you know more raw Norwegian sound to you know, their sort of masterful progressive stuff that they've been doing for the last, you know, 15 or 20 years or so. Yeah, like, you raise something interesting there, because they're a band, like, my my kind of um, introduction to them was when Rune came out, and I kind of, I've always been quite current with what I listened to of them, and it took me years to go back and listen to their kind of classic black metal phase, but I do think they're a band that can be off-putting in a way, because on a much smaller scale than this, but they do have that, like, old Opeth kind of fanboy love for them. Like, they seem to only have people who are desperately into them and think everything they've done is a masterpiece, or people are like, oh, yeah, I just don't get it. <laughs> like, I, I've never really met many people who are on the fence about Enslaved. Yeah, no, and that's a great point. Like, I mean, even our buddy uh, uh, Rowan from the podcast group and who writes for Heaviest of Art, you know, I one day I just brought up Enslaved. He's like, you know, I never got into him. And it was just like, interesting, because I feel like that would be, you know, in his wheelhouse. He's kind of, he's going to get that love for that, especially like, you know, late 90s, early 2000s progressive stuff. He, he loves that stuff. So I'm like, it feels like you should be into him, but I also kind of get it, you know, like opening up the, the Enslaved can of worms is, you know, it's a lot to digest. 
um, not only just in terms of girth, you know, 16 studio albums and dozens of EPs and live albums, but, you know, um, just, just writing that wave of, of style shift. So I, on one hand, I totally get not being into them, but on the other hand, I, I think if you, if you do, you know, uh, take the plunge, it's, it's very rewarding. I, I would obviously argue so, but, um, yeah, of course I'm incredibly biased. <laughs> so anyway, yeah. to, um, to sort of intro us into this discussion, um, the the point we're at with the band, they, they've they been active for years and years before this point. We're starting from their 2000 album, uh, Marjoram, Beyond the Within, um, on Osmo's Productions, which is like, it's a really interesting transitional phase. So we have the lineup that's come, basically exactly the same members, I think, come from the previous album, Bloodham, um, with the, the two core members of the band who've been there the whole time, Grutler doing uh, bass and vocals and kind of credited with various other stuff and then Ivar who is the like rhythm guitarist and I kind of get the impression like really in charge of the main like bulk of the songwriting at least the very backbones of the song so, um but then we have uh Dirge Rep on drums and Roy Kronheim on guitar so getting to that point where their, their early albums they're kind of legendary Frost uh, the Brazil demo that kind of stuff they were a free piece they have slowly kind of broadened the scope of things by adding a second guitarist so there's now some sort of lead guitar on that and the three albums that have just gone before are still very clearly in the black metal camp uh Marjoram is a weird departure from that i think it's the one we want to start with because it is just such an odd album in their catalog it doesn't really sound like any of the others how do you get on with this one jake yeah this one is probably the um... So I, I think not long ago we, we sort of we were sort of anecdotally talking about um, multi-album runs that we think are are great, and this is sort of the the capstone to what I think is just an incredible run that they had. Um, you know, starting off with their their you know two albums in '94, and and this is the one that sort of wraps up that sort of, in my opinion, almost perfect string of albums that they did. Um, but it's it, it, you're right that it's in, it's um it's incredibly transitional. You can tell that like this is them opening the door, but they've they've not fully stepped through the threshold. So there's like a bit of um I don't know. It just it feels a bit untamed and and not aimless, but also it feels like it's you know someone who's just stepped out of a you know a smaller room into a bigger room. Maybe that's a very crude metaphor but it's uh it's it's extremely interesting and i really honestly this is one of my favorites of theirs um just i don't know i, I love the tone of it i love the feel of it and um yeah it's just it's one of my favorites it's it's an interesting because I, I i think i said this on a podcast a while ago like i completely missed it somehow i kind of forgot it exists in their catalog so past that point where i'd gone and checked out most of the stuff I kind of forgot it was there, and the thing that struck me sort of getting into it a couple of years ago is it's exceptionally brutal for an enslaved album. Like, that would almost be the first descriptor I'd give it. There is there is hints of almost, like, a death metal feel to moments of it. It's a very... Yes. It's a very abrasive album, and as you say, it's got a very cool sound to it, but it's, you know... It's all rough edges. It's a it's a harsh like attack, um, but it still has their kind of prog bits in there. But the stuff I really love about it is the kind of blasting, kind of horribleness of it almost. Yeah, no, that that's that's a, a 
a perfect way to put it. I think there are like there's a couple of um a couple of moments on this one that I really um fly. I think Entrance Escape is is probably for for my money the best song on the album, the third track. Um mainly just because it's, you know, it's close to 8 minutes, it's very sparse lyrically, but there's just there's such cool there's so many cool things going on, you know, with uh um, again, kind of the brutality, but it's also some of the, the melodicisms there and just the dynamics throughout the track. I think to me, that's, that's the one track on that album that I would sort of point to personally and say, you know, that sort of sums up where they were at the time for me. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a bit of an odd one and, and yeah, kind of like we said at the start, it's, it's clearly the, the step from the old and in, 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 into the new. Yeah, it, it very much feels like the beginning of a transition. As much as, say, like, Eld was them starting to move into more prog territory, I think this is very much a sign of them wanting to do something quite different. Although it still has all the kind of, the very trad Viking imagery to it. It's still, like, sort of, design-wise, it does look like a classic enslaved album. Um, which I think is why it really kind of took me by surprise that it had such a kind of death metal type feel to it because it looks very black metal um yeah from the cover and, and then like song titles etc yeah no a thousand percent and i i think that in a way i think that charm to it is kind of what what draws me to it and, and it's just i don't know it's one that i could probably go back to fairly often i mean obviously there's there's a lot to pick from and and depending on your mood um you know, you can probably find an enslaved record that fits whatever your mood is. But me generally being more of a death metal guy, it, it probably lines up that this is an album that I'm drawn to. Actually, interestingly, I, I wonder if this had some effect on that kind of sound. The um, the album was recorded and mixed by uh, Peter Tagren of Hypocrisy. And actually, like, I think most of the Hypocrisy mm. lineup have engineering credits on it. So it's clearly, like, at that studio ah. quite quite closely entwined with that bland band like and this wouldn't have been long outside the the abyss phase where they were experimenting with black metal so it's got that cool kind of crossover where both bands were sort of i know dipping their toe into other genres that makes perfect sense yeah i that's on that's a that's a bit of trivia that i didn't i didn't uh know so no that makes total sense um yeah i and it's yeah it's just such a cool cool little moment for that band and and one that that really sticks out for me
One year on, we get to 2001 and Monumention. Um, it's the same same lineup, uh, I believe, and uh, same same like label. But this is one both me and Jake said ahead of time was like, I have never cracked this album. And in preparation for this episode, it's the thing I want to do. I want to get my head around Monumention. And what's to me is fascinating about Monumention is it is like the start point of what I think of as modern slave, we get that switch to um, the new art style. So the the old logo with the hammer that that's gone. Um, uh, Trolls Espidal comes in to do the art, and he's done every cover they've they've had since. Um, and then also we have that kind of um, ever present synths are suddenly in the sound. There's like a lot of things that like start being a thing with Monumention that will go on forever with the band but it's like their first pass at it so so did you did you manage to crack this one at all yeah I, I I still don't think I have it you know I still I still think this album like I don't I still don't think I have it but I spent a lot of time with it since we sort of you know, started this discussion about the podcast and, and it almost in some ways I feel like we could almost do a whole episode on just this one record because there's, I don't know. It's like if you if you look at the transition from the previous record to this one, um, it's like they just completely swing for the fences on the prog side for this. It's like to me, like, and I know that the band had mentioned their influences in the past, but to me, this is like their version of a King Crimson record. Um, it's just so, um, I don't know. It's 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 abstract, but it's also like. Um, it's got these extremely odd prog bits. It's got these sort of atmospheric moments, these almost ambient moments. And it, it feels, it's the biggest trip in their discography, in my opinion, because it, it, I don't know personally that they ever kind of, it, it's like they pushed the boundaries so far out that I don't know that they've ever gotten back this far out. I don't know. Um, but it's, it's so good. And I, I kind of love that it's still, still this mystery to me it's just fucking bonkers it's incoherent as an album like track to track you don't know it what's is. gonna happen next which is it's something i wouldn't normally say about their albums they normally have like we'll get into this with ones coming up they normally have a very good flow to them but stuff like the hollow inside where the the album's been quite heavy so far and then it's suddenly as you say it's like a king crimson inspired prog rock song just out of nowhere um and then the next track cromlet gate has an ending that wouldn't sound out of place in an earlier Gojira album with this like heavy chugging riff and this <laughs> right. like tapping pattern over the top of it. So I, I personally, I found I sort of cracked this album more. Like I found moments of it I really love. Something like the voices, the second track on the album has this amazing, That's incredible, yeah, incredible the, song. Yeah, yeah, the way they kind of transition the melodic into the heavy and like blend the two ideas as like a kind of lighter passage and a heavier passage and they get kind of mixed together in the closing of it and it's yeah that that felt spectacular and a real kind of sign of what's to come but then you you do get some just like absolutely weird stuff where like the sleep later in the album mm. goes into almost like later yeah. Dossheim's guard <laughs> territory with this strange sung spoken word trade-off that I, I don't know a lot of that later album comes off a little like pretentious but kind of aimlessly yeah yeah no i i i agree that that the the tracks like that make it feel 
more like a series of passing thoughts than like one coherent theme. And I think that's kind of why I like it. I don't know that I love it, but I do like that they did this because it felt like a lot of pent up prog rage that they'd had, you know, just sitting around listening to King Crimson and Pink Floyd and, and Genesis. And they were like, you know, basically, fuck it, we'll do it. And even though it didn't necessarily come out as like this one cohesive idea or approach, they got it all out and it's all out there. And if you can sort of ride those different waves, I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I think there's great tracks in here and that like, if you're willing to accept it won't have that flow yeah as you say you can have a really good time with it but it's it's an odd one uh, another recording detail i, I, I mentioned because i, I want to mention because it's, it's really interesting uh herbrand larson is credited with engineering in this and i think he I, he works at the studio that it was recorded in so they went back to um i forget the name of the studio but it's like run by uh Python, uh, Eric Hunvin, who's famed for doing like the early Burzum and Emperor stuff. So they've moved away from the death, like kind of death metal studio back into like the classic black metal uh, realm, but then done something that is quite far removed from black metal <laughs> in a lot of ways. Right. Which, uh, yeah, really interesting. Yeah, I, I really do. I mean, even, you know, kind of like earlier that, you know, you brought up the cover art and, you know, I love Enslaved. They've never had, like, in my opinion, like killer uh, uh, cover art for any of their albums. They're all good, but like nothing that, you know, maybe aside from Eld, that just sticks with you. Um, this one is just so much, like, when you look at that cover, you're like, you know, I, if you didn't know it was an Enslaved record, you, you wouldn't think it is, you know? And I think that's really probably one of the biggest, you know, telltales that this album is just... Like they were even thinking about it wildly differently and it felt the whole thing just feels very intentional, even though it's not necessarily all put together in a way that they eventually got to. Um, yeah, it just, it, it feels like a big push to me. That's the only kind of way I know to describe it. It just feels like a big push. And um yeah, I, I I do I do love it for that. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great summation of it. It, it, it just feels like, and, and it's only a year apart from Marjoram. Like, I, it's which is crazy. Yeah, they've clearly <laughs> just gone like, well, that's the capstone on that. We're done. We're doing something totally new. Full pivot, and and the fact that they did that, you know, with with pretty much, you know, aside from the recording staff, with pretty much the same, you know, um, band family is is just. It's a real testament to to their versatility, and not only in performance, but just in songwriting and composition. And you know, maybe they didn't iron out all the kinks in terms of getting the flow of the album the way it should have been. But it's just one of those things that you know, enslaved as a whole. If you sit back and look at what they've done, it's just like they're such a special band because they have been able to do all this and do it all so well and do it all so consistently. And even on an album like this, where it isn't necessarily maybe their most uh, polished or honed effort, it, it still is just kind of leaves my me a little slack jawed and like, you know, how are they doing this so close to, you know, I mean, this is what a, a decade after, um, you know, Yggdrasil. So, I mean, that's just, it's crazy to get that far. Yeah. The, the speed of this band's evolution is, is amazing. And you have to remember with stuff like, like this, like early two thousands, pushing black metal to this weirder territory was still kind of 
a bit of a taboo thing to do. Like, this will be at the point where people still have pretty strong rules about what black metal is allowed to sound like. So, yeah, it's really interesting. Let's, let's move on to the one everyone wants to hear about. Um, so <laughs> 2003 brings us to Below the Lights. Um, the ma- there's some major changes in the personnel, like the personnel of the band. Icedale um, gets recruited on lead guitar, um, who I, I think the band have described as like really shaking stuff up because he's the first time they'd had like this real virtuoso musician come in, whereas previously, you know, they're more experimental musicians who've been doing this project since they're very young. And Dirge Rep is now recording drums just as a guest, so is clearly kind of on their way out. It's back at the same studio, so like the, the overall sound of the album isn't markedly different. I think the recording is, is relatively similar to my ears, but yeah, it seems to have resulted in something that has become a real fan favorite. How do you get on with Below the Lights? It's weird that, you know, and maybe this is part of my stubborn nature, um, but this is one that I like, but I, it's not it's not even in my top five enslaved records, or, or maybe not even my top ten. I, I like it. Um, it's obviously, you know, resonates with a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Um, but it's one that I just feel like, in terms of, and this is this is this is probably a hot take, but it, it it doesn't have a lot of personality for me to get a hold of. Like it's it's technically brilliant, the songwriting's great, the performances are great. I mean, you can't get mad at any of that, right? But like for me, there's it, it's it just doesn't have a lot of handholds for me personally. Um, doesn't mean I don't like it because I do. Because so no one, no one walk away from this saying that I don't like this album because that's not what I'm saying. Um, but I, I do think that it's one of those that um, it makes sense for a lot of people to like because I do feel like this is sort of where they took the ideas of Monumentation and sort of like polished them up. They took a couple of years to do it, obviously, so they sort of took their time between albums and obviously the personnel change. And so I, you know, I don't know what that means in terms of you know, how the album came together, but, um, cause I, I did my best not to look too far behind the curtain and just, and just stick with my impressions of things. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if that's a, a controversial or not, but I do like it, but it's just not super, um, 
yeah, it doesn't grab me like others do. Yeah, it does interesting because uh, like I have a lot of friends sort of locally, you know, like enslaved or a regular like pub drinking topic, and to a man, every one of them will say "Below the Lights" is their best album, and this is where we'll get hate mail for it. But I'm on about the same page as you, Jake. <laughs> I, I I like it. Yeah, <laughs> I I was utterly astounded to find there was a consensus on enslaved sixteen odd albums, and that this was the that the kind of peak of that it, it's got amazing songs like havenless is obviously brilliant that like that that kind of viking style chanting is immensely catchy and will be stuck in your head for days yeah as far as it's clean, great life it's a oh great god life. yeah yeah it, but it's funny as well like the band um when they did those lockdown studio things they they did a version where they played, I think, basically all of Below the Lights, and they were sort of saying, we don't get why this album is so popular. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I can see that, because I, I, I feel like that this is, and this is not a slight on any of, you know, their material or, or this material, but it feels like this is a, a very... Um, I hate to use the word, but I'm going to anyway. It's it's kind of a nominal enslaved album. It's like exactly what you'd expect from them if you think enslaved. It's sort of like the archetype for an enslaved record. But because of that, it doesn't have like little kinks and cracks and, and little interesting bits that I kind of gravitate to in, in a discography. And it's something as well where I think this probably was very legendary at the time because as much as an archetypal enslaved album, before this, an archetypal enslaved album didn't really exist, or, like, what we had from the band was quite different. So this is the kind of, the, the laying the template that they more or less follow for every album since. Yeah, and that's totally fair. And I think maybe, you know, given, you know, two decades hence, right, um, maybe that's why it doesn't feel as such a, a big moment for them for me personally because 20 years ago i wasn't into enslaved um so maybe that's part of it yeah yeah I, 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 yeah it only just occurred to me it's the 20th anniversary of this album wow uh, that's, <laughs> yep. that's kind of incredible but yeah so we're, we're probably coming across overly negative blow lights is like is a masterful thing and considering the personnel change or the fact this was at a point like i think the band might have a lesser opinion of it because it seemed to be at the point of the whole lineup shifting and that it was probably an awkward recording with a drummer who was on the kind of way out the door um if this had been the capstone to enslaved i could totally see why it would be so legendary like imagine if the band kind of left things here that run would be really interesting oh for sure yeah no absolutely and yeah I, I definitely don't want to come across as negative i do feel like that this album probably ha has you know no matter if i was to sit here and, and absolutely talk trash about it it's not going to change anyone's mind so i'm i'm not trying to do that i'm just i'm merely saying that like i'm kind of attracted to records that feel a little bit um you know odd and, and have little quirks to them and this one it's it's almost to the point where I'm not going to say it's a perfect album, but it, it's damn close in some regards, and I think that's probably why it it is isn't as memorable to me, especially when you stack it up against everything that came after. That's that's really a summation, but it is a brilliant album and one that I you know I you know listen to a lot, obviously, um, especially on the on the run up to this um, to this episode. But you know I do love it, and you know I'll continue to listen to it and. 
I'll buy it once I find a copy of it. So, you know, I'm in no way, no way trashing the album. Just, just my sort of opinion. So this brings us to Issa, um, 2005, and this is where we get uh, the start of kind of what I'd call the classic lineup, or at least the lineup of Enslaved that lasted the longest. So we've got Icedale in the band as lead guitar, but then Herbrand Larson, who has been kind of in the background in the studio for a while with the band, joins adding clean vocals and keyboards and all the kind of various uh, iterations of keyboards he'd be credited with. And new drummer uh, Kato Beckfold um, also joins the band. Um, And, you know, these are three people I think would have the longest runs so far with the band. Um, Issa, like, has a very different sound. Whereas Below the Lights is a very polished album, Issa has gone back to Myers to a very raw recording. I'd say almost an objectively worse. Like, there's something about the kick drum that just kind of sounds wrong on this album. But <laughs> all that being said, I think it's one of my all-time favourites of theirs. I This is the one where I just think the songwriting is at, at an absolute peak for it. Most of the songs kind of form around, like, one absolutely brilliant riff that keeps recording and as we were saying earlier like there's later albums that have transitions that are like you know the flow of them is perfect Issa is one for me that stands as like a real high point for that where there seems to be a huge amount of thought put into as a song ends like something ringing out that will perfectly meld into the next track so yeah how do, how do you get on with Issa Jake yeah no this is this is a this is a good one um and I think you you sort of you you hit the the point that I was going to make already, which is the sound of this album is something I you know it, it, when you contrast it to Below the Lights, you know Below the Lights is very you know it's you know it's not hyper clean sounding, but it feels very put together and very polished. Whereas Issa definitely feels like you, they kind of went back and said, okay, we're going to do black metal, and it's going to sound like black metal, and. Um, the, the harshness of it is something that I really like, especially because they didn't sacrifice their progressive ideas, but it doesn't sound like a prog album. So I think that's what I like. It's it's less of a two things coexisting in an almost like a pure emulsification of, of these progressive ideas and, and actual, you know, harsh sounding raw-ish black metal. And I think that's one of the things that, I, that really draws me to this one because it, it feels like they're... Um, leading into the the harshness of 
the black metal side. Um, and it was, it was, you know, as you listen through their discography, it's nice to kind of come back upon that, uh, especially after, you know, the, the weirdness of Monumention and sort of the cohesion and sort of not prettiness, but just sort of pleasantness of Below the Lights. And you get to this one and it's like, hey, by the way, we're still from Norway. We still do black metal. Um, <laughs> and I, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that having songs like Issa or Bound by Allegiance, maybe Violet Dawning as well, where it is just heavy and in your face, like quite short to the point songs. Like there's a couple like, you know, some of the most legendary tracks on this album are under the four minute mark, whereas they're a band that mainly push away from that. And that even songs like Lunar Force are pretty punishing in places. And I kind of love that about this album. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. And like, I feel like the vocals just come across is so much more, you know, uh, just harsh and in your face. And like, there's, you know, there's still the melodies and stuff that you want, but that's not what the primary emphasis of most of these songs are. I feel like the the purpose of this album is is far more about just sort of like the the more, uh, I guess, uh, agony side <laughs> of the spectrum than than the pleasant side. And um, I think it's it's an interesting little, you know. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to, to see, like, you know, what what the decisions were or what the ideas were at the time, because this is, you know, just a year after Below the Lights for them to kind of make this little pivot over to this this sound that feels a lot more um, harsh. Although um, there is like the sort of weirdness to this album is the last like 20 minutes or so, it kind of takes a real left turn from that of like some of the most memorable moments, like from Secrets of the Flesh to the end. Yeah, like they, they yeah, well, even Return to Yggdrasil has that like real classic rock um, guest clean vocal section, which is probably the one bit of the album where I, I didn't think that moment worked. But yeah, Secrets of the Flesh into Neogenesis, which is like like the the most I think the band have ever just let Ice Dale loose and just gone. You've got like four minutes <laughs> just to, just write something just pretty go over for it. this. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think this is a this is one you know, and it's one that I didn't expect to like as much as I did. I think um, mainly because I feel like that you know by the time you know I got to this record, I sort of had this preconception of what I was going to be listening to, and to hear the way that th this one turned out and just the way it sounded and the way you know it, it all came together or didn't, um, it, it just it's a little unexpected, and I think that's a reason that I like this one. Yeah, it's it's got some really special elements to it, and also it has the very cool cult sign off of having um, Nocturna Cultal and a Bath doing backing vocals on a couple of tracks, which um, that's pretty fun. Yeah, again, not an album you expect either of those two to be on, but it 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 really works. <laughs>
next up, another very short turnaround of so from 2006, we get an album that kind of struck me as commercially like this was the album I, I kind of was aware of the band on, and there seemed to be a big kind of commercial push behind this for a progressive black metal band. So 2006, we get Rune, uh, same same label, same um, same lineup of the band. Uh, how how do you find Rune, Jake? This is, uh, again, another reason I love Enslaved is because they never or rarely do the same thing twice, right? Um, I really like this one. And I, the reason that I like this one is because, A, it is different, but also, B, there's just so, especially at the start, especially that opening uh, introper or introper, however you say it, um, especially that, I think a couple songs after it, there's so much, and I use the word lightly, groove to it. It almost feels like a satiricon record at times. It's kind of got that um, grooviness. And it, just to hear them kind of begin an album like that, um, and, and sort of that vibe sort of like rolls through um, the, the, the record entirely. Um, yeah, it's, it's just... I kind of like the tempos. They feel a little bit more, um, <clears throat> I don't know. They feel, you know, it's, it's a little bit more mid pace. There's not a lot of, uh, yeah, it, it's hard for me to, to like wrap my head around this one, but like there are interesting moments, especially like uh, tides of chaos, like the lyrics in that one, just like, I feel like they just hit hard. They're very dark. Um, and you know, toward the end, um, I think it's pronounced Apivat or Apivat. I don't know how to say it. But that one is, for me, what feels like a real big... Um, it, it, they kind of go back to some of like the Below the Light stuff, and it feels kind of like where the album sort of puts its foot down and says this is kind of who we are going forward. Um, and on top of that, I think this is probably one of their shorter albums. This is, it's, I think this one's maybe like... 49 to 50 minutes it's only 45 minutes yeah it's a really to the point album yeah and i think that i like that because i don't think yeah there's not even a song that reaches seven minutes which especially for 2006 enslaved that's kind of a a weird stat um so this one again it's quirky um and it has its own little personality and i i love i love it i really do honestly it might be it might be one of my favorites of this of this era that we're talking about because of that so, so for me I, I i think it is my favorite uh enslaved album it's as you all the things you're saying i think it's it's got the least fat on it there is not a single song i'd cut from this I, I think it is great start to finish but it couples like some of the stuff that was really good from isa with a much better production so we have those kind of like faster more riffy to the point songs but then immediately when you listen to Sam you hear in Tropa like the the bass is really clear in the mix and kind of doing something stand out from the guitars which has never really been a a huge factor in Enslaved and then stuff like Fusion of Sense and Earth has these great later Enslaved style riffs where I really like I, I believe Ivor's style of, of writing where he'll um these these riffs that like go on for bars and bars before they repeat but like still find like a groove in that like the, this this huge passion it is um but then having moments say later in the album like the title track or essence which are far more atmospheric but get to the point quite fast they're like yeah they're sort of spectacularly kind of cosmic weird songs but they're kind of immediate you get what they're about on first listen and i, I and and like 
I've got to mention it because it's probably the song of Enslaved I've listened to the most, but like Path of Van Eer has one of the best, like just uses of they bring the chorus back at the end, but they put double kicks under it and it's just the coolest right. moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah, this, it, it you know, kind of even, you know, in the lead up to this podcast, when I went back through and, you know, was listening to this era, um, this one just sort of stuck with me in in some ways that others didn't you know and i think that one of the big reasons is that it was just so digestible as an album and that is you know not necessarily maybe what you want from enslaved album i mean sometimes you want that that complexity and to go for all these different dynamics and progressive ideas but all that's here but it just feels like the uh, most concise version of that that they've that they've done especially during this this era and it just i love the way it sounds i love the riffs I, like you're talking about it seemed like they were super smart and the way they moved things around uh in, in the mix and um i just i just love the stories that are here um and yeah it's it it might it might take the top spot for this era for me yeah i, I think uh, like <laughs> It's hard to put into words like why this is so good because it, it, it's still enslaved. Like enslaved never really right. come out of that realm of being kind of subtle. Like, but there is there's reasons there's tracks off of this that are still live staples. If you go and see them now, like you'll rarely see enslaved where mm -hmm. they won't play Fusion of Sense and Earth because that riff will just cut through over any any PA system, any however badly they've been mixed, <laughs> that's gonna sound cool. Whereas say say when we get into the realm of like vertebrae type stuff, that requires a bit more balance because it's it is so kind of subtle and layered. Whereas this this album it still has that, but it, it has such an immediacy and um yeah. But then I guess it, like say the, the closer air to the cosmic sea does get quite mellow and feels like a, a kind of more gentle outro to the album. But because it comes in so strong, I don't have that issue. I don't need the kind of, like, I don't need a huge closer from this because we've just had 40 straight minutes of really catchy riffs. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. It's just so, I don't know. It's just, it's probably, and I don't mean this in a slight, but it, it's a really accessible enslaved record. Like, I feel like you could almost throw this to to even you know and maybe this is me coming from my own perspective but i feel like you could throw this album to someone who's not even a enslaved fan or maybe not even a black metal fan and they'd have a good time with it because there's just you know it's it's not uncomplex but it's also you know it's just easy to get a hold of in my opinion yeah and, and the only real barrier to entry and this this we, we haven't really touched on but this is kind of like a barrier on any of their arms is uh Grudler vocals are very very intense like he's actually a very clear vocalist so you can kind of understand most of his lyrics but he does have this like gargling razor blades voice like uh, here's one of the <laughs> right like the, his just throat just sounds like it should be in trouble but he's been doing this for like what almost 30 yeah, years ever. at this point <laughs> <laughs> yeah somehow yeah somehow one of the most like of the norwegian black metal vocalists and I, this is a, a pool of some very good vocalists he is one of the more distinct voices like you can tell it's him a mile off that's uh yeah no i i i would agree wholesale i think that's probably one of the uh brilliant parts about enslaved is they you know 
is aside from their compositional prowess and their longevity and their flexibility is just, you know, the two staple members are really, really, really good at what they do. And, uh, vocals are a big part of that. And the fact that he can, you know, kind of, you know, adapt what he does into all these different phrasings and timings and, um, and still continue to do that, you know, three decades hence is, a real testament. So yeah, it's, it's, he's incredible. Like I, I finally saw them live last month for the first time and you know, he was just incredible. <laughs> That's quite funny. So by comparison, uh, enslaved are the band I've seen live the most. I think I've seen him live like about 16 times now. Like <laughs> I, I, I see the most years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's awesome. And yeah. they are consistently a good live show, like through the lineup changes, etc. Like, they the the core two of this band well almost free at this point like ice dale is is coming up well over 20 years in the band now i think he he can be considered part of that that kind of central bit but yeah they they just they're very very tight at what they do and i think they just have like they're naturally just very in time like which is i guess what you get from playing together forever and and griddle is an interesting kind of from because he's, he's always been the bass player as well and his bass lines aren't the most complex but i think it is because he's quite ambitious as a vocalist like you mentioned tides of chaos like that is a that is a song where the lyrics and delivery are the thing you focus on so uh, and they're so not like on the beat or anything that's like clearly like delineated like trying to play while doing that must be intensely difficult oh yeah no i have no doubt and i think that's that's a perfectly reasonable approach, you know, for him, you know, obviously you, you need to, you're the vocalist, you got to make sure that that comes across. Um, another thing that I'll say kind of while, while we're in this little intermediate part is one of the things that I absolutely loved about their live show is they were just not afraid to have fun. And I think that's probably that sort of um, lack of hubris in some ways, I think is what allows this band to a certain extent to be who they are because they they've never been seemingly at least as far as i can tell overly serious about quote unquote black metal and being cult so they've just managed to take their music to places that you know you wouldn't expect and i think seeing that live really brought that home to me it was just like they are having so much fun like they're still having fun doing this and I get, you know, some people want black metal to have the certain atmosphere or to have this certain vibe, especially live. But, you know, I think I said at one point, it was like going to a rock and roll concert. And I mean that in the best way, you know, it was just so much fun. And seeing that kind of just brought all of their music to a different place for me because it was like, oh, they're, they're really just curious children with instruments having a lot of fun. And are really good at it <laughs> it's a really good point because they say um they recently had that great uh series came out of norwegian telly it's all on youtube uh Heimvigen, um worth looking up where they documented essentially like the first six or seven years of the band and it just seems like they never had the controversial elements they never had the thing that would sell them above like you know a lot of the other black metal bands where like you know the controversy almost was the thing that got them attention. So they always exist in this interesting realm where they really were just all about the music. And as you say, having that kind of very, you know, 
classic rock gig energy Chris, one of the tours i saw him on they ended the set with a cover of immigrant song which i remember um <laughs> they played with ice dale spent most of the song on Grootler's shoulders like so they came out for the encore with him on his shoulders and that was that was how they did it which is like the least black metal energy i can imagine <laughs> oh yeah a thousand percent yeah a thousand percent and that that makes me love them for that for sure move on to vertebrae so um little bit of a gap between these uh, uh, two years later we get vertebrae um same lineup but the big change is they move studio and record with jens bogren um for the first time and i think he's done every album of theirs since so it's a very very professional sound on this one how do you find vertebrae it's a bit of an interesting one i think yeah i think this one probably um, I might have, I might have the least to say about this one. And I don't know that that's necessarily bad. Um, I do like this record a lot. I, I definitely, I think there are moments that, um, that stick out to me. Like there's like, especially like on, uh, what is it? Ground, um, the song ground, like it's it's interesting to hear like so much Pink Floyd come through, especially on on that track. Um, it it sort of lacks, especially like okay. So if you're, you're charting along chronologically like we are, if you're coming off of Rune and coming to this one, it's quite the shift in terms of not only approach but just you know like total uh, runtime is a little bit longer, but it's still a pretty lean record. Um, but it just it doesn't hit me quite the way Rune did. It doesn't hit me like uh, Issa did. Um, there are some great songs on here, um, like The Watcher. I love I love that song. Um, and it's just, it's one of those that I feel like is more, I hate to say it, but it, it's sort of like another enslaved record to me. It doesn't feel like it had, and, and this is... It, People might hate this, but it doesn't feel like it has a lot to say. That being said, it is a good album. Um, I don't think it's, it doesn't really rank too high in this current era that we're talking about for me personally, but it is a great album. Yeah, so I I was already, so I got into Rune around when that came out, so I was already a big fan of uh, the band by the time this one dropped, and I have to, like, first time I put it on, I was really disappointed because it's, um, 
it's leaned away from the kind of uh very riffy nature of the previous one and got more more prog rock it's more layers it's more more subtle like um clearly the band have put a lot of trust in her brand on this one because he has more vocals than ever and even like leads the album the first passage of vocals is a a verse of his so entirely clean singing which you know never has happened on one of their arms before giving it time and this was true even when i got it so i i i bounced off it like on the first couple of listens but i I had enough like sort of respect for the band I, i tried to get into it and as I gave it more time, like, I do think there's a lot to it, particularly the first three songs of the album, like Clouds and To The Coast, have some lovely like melodic textures, but it's it's an album where the really good stuff on it, I, I think is like Herbrand is really leading this album. His his synths and his um his clean vocals are a lot of the stuff that I really gravitate to. Like that intro to Clouds I think sounds absolutely amazing now. Now I'm expecting it whereas previously i was like why isn't this rocking out right um, and, then, <laughs> and if that's what you want this album won't give that to you i remember actually it was quite interesting um for one of the into the combine trivia episodes i sent in that clip of ice dale's solo in ground which is an absolutely beautiful solo to attempt to guess what band was playing it and people who were all very familiar with enslaved couldn't place it because it just sounds like it's out of a prog rock song it doesn't yeah and 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 i think it's interesting because like especially in in sort of retrospect like we're doing you know it's like okay what what led the band to to make this choice at this time you know were they just sitting around listening to to animals and dark side of the moon and we're like yeah let's do one of those or you know what what brought that on at that time and uh, again i think it's it's this album is a testament to Enslaved being able to kind of just do whatever the hell they want. Um, and it also kind of gives us as fans, you know, if we want to listen to Enslaved, uh, we also kind of have to make a secondary choice of which Enslaved do we want to listen to. Um, but yeah, like the the approach of more um, like the, the synth-led stuff that you're talking about and sort of the guitars not taking a backseat but sort of stepping back a little bit it's it's an interesting one and just there's some absolutely beautiful stuff on this album and if that's sort of the mood or that's the enslaved that you're looking for um you know it's brilliant it just doesn't quite grab me the way others have yeah i i I think that's fair i would i would also add like i don't think this album is quite as tight as maybe the the two we see previously where there's a couple of tracks like it drags towards the middle of the album like i really love those first three songs and the watcher is brilliant but vertebrae and reflection i just don't think are good enslaved songs in terms of like they're, they're fine but they are never songs I'd reach to put on, and I don't. I, I I would struggle to tell you how they went without um, without having listened to them recently. You know, <laughs> whereas fair point. Whereas like kind of everything on Rune or most of Issa, I could tell you something about that song immediately if you you mentioned it. There would be something that stuck in my head about it, and that's true of quite a lot of their sort of later material vertebrae is a great transition but i yeah i I don't think it holds up in the the best of their catalog later on (laughs) 
this is another one I believe has like a real kind of fan love. This will be the last one we're going to cover today. So um, the in 2010, same lineup, same studio again. We get Axioma, Ethica, Odini. How do you get on with this one, Jake? I, I like this one a lot. Um, I think the reason I do is we kind of come back to the guitars a little bit more this time around. And I feel a bit more of that. So of the era that we're talking about, so this is 2010, I feel like a bit more of that 2005 Enslaved kind of coming back a little bit um, from, from Issa. Um, and and, and I, can't, I can't be sure, but it feels like the cover art sort of leans back to that a little bit for me too. Um, you know, sort of like taking a, a figure and circling it and putting it on the front, you know, it's, it feels like a bit of a nod to Issa. Um, but I think that, I think I really, you know, if, if I'm looking at this run, um, I feel like this one is higher up than, than vertebrae. And I feel like it's, it's probably somewhere, if I had to rank it personally, somewhere in the, in the place of, that uh, Issa rune kind of category because it to me it feels kind of what I generally reach for when I when I want enslaved it's kind of it's kind of got all those elements that you'd expect from them by now with you know the cool prog stuff and you know some more protracted song lengths like most of the songs are six minutes plus usually reaching to eight minutes it's closer to an hour in length so there's a lot to digest there but if that's kind of what I'm I'm in the mood for I feel like this one hits a little bit better than than Vertebrae did for sure. So for me, it was one like again. I had that experience already being a fan, so I was like, you know, excited when it came out. And whereas Vertebrae was a slow burn, this one I remember being so into on first listen, like I was immediately like running to friends' houses to like lend it to them to be like, you've got to hear this album. Um, I think I've softened on that since I don't know that it's it's my absolute favourite in hindsight, but it's um it's got such great energy to it, like it has so much more of that kind of distinctly riffy nature, like songs like Ethica Odini or Giants are just these huge, huge riffs and like Giants sees them get slower and heavier than than they've been before and are more almost like doom leaning but then towards yeah i was gonna say that oh yeah yep yep yeah there's some some really cool things that i feel like especially like you're talking about with giants it's like you know feeling that heaviness kind of come through in a different way you know they're not necessarily trying to um to scorch you to death with black metal but they're sort of just kind of coming at it from a a more of a, a slow but heavy approach and i thought that was a really interesting uh thing that weirdly that you know we hadn't heard heard much of up until then yeah and they they have some of that sort of um that, that, that way they kind of combine sounds comes back quite nicely in this where you have really heavy well, or fast riffy stuff transition into very clean like they seem to make great use of both the atmospherics and herbrand's vocals like Radho or the Beacon have great moments where you'll get a very heavy, well, not necessarily heavy, but a very full-on, like, catchy, fast riff beautifully transition into, like, a clean chorus. And I, I think that's what makes it so accessible. It almost has that, like, you know, that, that thing of, like, oh, here's the heavy head-banging bit, and here's the sing-along bit, and it's all tied together really nicely. We get a lot of, like, Ice Dale gets a lot of space to kind of, like, show off in this album as well, because a little bit longer, so the songs are maybe a touch more self-indulgent but 
I, I think there's enough going on. <laughs> right. They justify it. I would argue. I, I do feel like that this one being the length that it is, I don't feel like that there is fat on this one. I don't feel like it's, um, I don't feel like, I guess I feel like every song here kind of has a place, uh, which I, I didn't necessarily feel that that was the case with Vertebrae. Um, and, and given that this was an even girthier album than uh, that preceded it, it, it was, that was nice. You know, I, I felt like every song sort of belongs on this album. And um, just that, you know, kind of like we were talking about and like you were mentioning, just, just the way it flowed, the dynamics and the way that each... Um, each song kind of brought its own little thing. Um, and, you know, like the little transitional bits like um, Axioma, like just, I don't know. It felt, you know, kind of like an album that was really, really well thought out and put together in a way that um, just maximized everything that was there. And and I think it, it's a great, a great album that sort of capstones the, and sort of, bookends this decade um even though we sort of dipped our toes into the next one just a little bit um <laughs> to uh to sort of make i don't know it's it just one of those that it's a really really good enslaved record and i think it's one of those that um i probably don't come back to as often as i should honestly because i i tend to gravitate toward you know kind of like i said at the start of the episode a lot of the uh older stuff but in terms of this era i, I do think it's one i should i should visit back more yeah uh like if, whereas for me it's it's one i have almost played to death like i don't go back to it as often because i i just burnt out on it at the time but i i mean they're all songs i'm very excited for a, a track of if if i see them live because they're songs that feel very well written for the live setting because they're kind of so sort of like dynamic and exciting but yeah like it, it is this is a really great capstone to that era of that say that lineup we've seen over the last four albums like i think this is a really a really cool highlight from that um i don't know they would do a lot more interesting stuff afterwards as well and we get into a very strange place with them as a live band now where they have 16 albums worth of history like, <laughs> yeah. like they think they, they can miss whole eras of the band out live and it's gonna it's gonna piss someone off like i don't know how you structure that set list anymore it's just one of those things where, like, because they've they haven't had the you know later Slayer thing where everyone's like, yeah, just play the first five albums. Like, they they don't really have that <laughs> right. energy to them because I, everyone's a fan of a different era of them. Like, I I have I have close friends who like some of the favorite stuff they've ever put out are things like uh, Utgard, like the the second to most recent album. Like, I know people who are totally obsessed with that. Um. So yeah, that that was that was the run of the the sort of. 10 i mean we stretched it to 11 years because we really wanted to conclude daxiama but that was an i think an interesting decade um in the band's history so do you have any sort of like closing thoughts on this jake like um anything you want to say about enslave that you don't feel we got to if we're talking about this decade in particular i i do think it's interesting if you look at sort of the pace uh, that they put out albums during this this decade you know like for their first you know uh I don't know, seven, eight years, they put out what, like four records, five records. And then in that, that span, I mean, they were, I mean, it's like every year or at least every other year, they're putting out something that is just completely um, different than, than where they started. I mean, it made sense that they went there, but the fact that they were able to just sort of 
have this incredible creative burst, especially like from Mardron to Monumention to Below the Lights, and then like make these quick pivots to almost these little sidesteps like Isa and Vertebrae, where they're just taking different approaches. I think that makes them a really special band because they're kind of fearless in that way, and they're not afraid to take a different production tactic or you know switch up kind of which instrument leads um, the album or you know how to how to pace the whole thing out and you know it, it's sort of probably preaching to the choir at this point for for most people but it's it's you know if you think about a lot of bands that started when they did um, there were so many one and done uh, acts out there. Um, that just popped up, put out a record that was great, followed it up with some trash, and then disappeared. Um, and, and then, you know, you see a band like Enslaved, you know, who's been, you know, very successfully, at least creatively, and I, I would imagine at least to some extent commercially, to be able to put out all this music um, over the last few decades and it all be, you know, not only good, but in some cases exceptional. Um, it just it just makes them such a special band, um, and it's like they're operating without the constraints that everyone else is. And I wish I knew what that was. <laughs> I wish I knew, you know, how to how to impart that to someone else. It's like they're not worried about time. They're not worried about what people say. They're not worried about whether or not something will work. They're just having fun and you know while doing it they're just breaking the rules and no one cares and it's just i don't know they're they're a really special band and um you know if if anyone listening hasn't taken the plunge because it is off putting um just just ask Phil he'll give you a good he'll give you a good place to jump in I guarantee it <laughs> uh, that's that's very well put Jake yeah like um I understand fans like, well, the both of us, for example, can be off-putting with a band like this, but I, I do think they're a band that like um, have kind of earned earned their respect in that way. I, there's a great quote in the um, Heimwegen, uh film where Demonaz is talking about and going like, well, I kind of only like their early stuff, but, you know, they've never been afraid to change, and in that alone, they've earned my respect. And that that's, uh, I think, what's really made enslaved legendary is that thing of they they really shifted gears with eld and got commercially slated for it and this has happened a couple of times and particularly their transitional era we kind of touched on and they they just powered through and have ended up yeah uh, honestly a commercially successful entity at the end of it but it's kind of fascinating that they got there very much through their own steam and determination just doing what they wanted to do like absolutely brilliant band well, thanks a lot for joining me on this, Jake. Um, where, if, if people want to hear more from you, where, where can people check out your work? Uh, yeah, if you, if you want to see the words that I've written, just, uh, just check out everythingisnoise.net. I do uh, a lot of um, album reviews over there, do some interviews. Uh, recently interviewed Don Raid. Um, I did uh, an in-person interview with Aaron uh, from Nachachwin. Um, so check that place out. We cover all sorts of music, but I tend to uh, just hold down a lot of the, the metal side of things. Um, also, Lamb Goat, uh, which is a place that, generally speaking, um, ha caters to a little bit more of the more modern stuff. 
like uh, some metalcore and hardcore acts, but again, I tend to try to hold down, um, you know, I avoid hanger releases over there if I can. Um, so you can you can check me out there. Um, but yeah, that's that's generally where where I'm about. And you can you can find my socials over there if you want to follow. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining me. This was this is a really fun thing to have an excuse to do because these are all albums I've wanted to talk about for years. So yeah, that was great. Yeah. <laughs>